Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. From the Milton Met Studio in IU's radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. The Trump administration announced plans to overhaul the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, formerly known as Food Stamps. Under the proposal, low-income Americans who receive more than $90 a month through SNAP would receive half of their benefits in a USDA food package. Now, the packages would contain such items as cereals, pasta, peanut butter, and canned goods. The USDA, the USDA says state governments can deliver food at a lower cost than what SNAP recipients pay in retail stores, thus reducing the overall cost of SNAP by $129 billion over the next 10 years. Right now on Noon Edition, our panelists will discuss how this proposal affects SNAP recipients. I'm your host today, Joe Wren with WFIU, WTIU News. And with me as co-host is Noon Edition producer, Angelo Bautista, making his debut on air today. Welcome, Angelo. Thank you. And we have four guests, two of them here in the studio, Julio Alonzo, Executive Director of Hoosier Hills Food Bank in Bloomington. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being having me. No problem. And Angela Babb, a visiting assistant professor with the IU Department of Geography. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. On the phone, we have Jessica Frazier, director of Indiana Institute for Working Families in Indianapolis. Welcome, Jessica. Hi. Hi. And Susan Levin, director of nutrition education of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for having me. Sure. So uh, let's just begin with maybe a little bit of background, whoever kind of wants to to, uh, to jump in on, on SNAP and who these recipients are right now. And maybe, Julio, do you want to maybe kick us off? Uh, sure. Well, um, I, I mean, I'll start by saying addressing food insecurity and hunger requires a multi-pronged approach. Uh, it, you know, it kind of starts with agricultural policies that encourage sustainable food production, but it includes private sector competition that encourages retailers to offer low prices and varieties of food, and a vast network of nonprofits um, that that serve people through uh, kitchens and 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 uh, shelters and, and pantries. But most importantly, it includes SNAP benefits. Um, there are 42 million Americans who depend on this program in order to receive funding to go purchase food um, every month. And so it affects uh, a, a wide variety of people uh, across the spectrum in this country. And there, there are a lot of... Um, there's a lot of misinformation about who SNAP recipients are, and the fact is that 78% of SNAP recipients are children, elderly, or disabled people, and 84% of all benefits go to, to such households. So this is something that really, uh, really significantly impacts a lot of people in this country. Angela, what kind of angle do you have with, with this program? So I study the Thrifty Food Plan, which is the model diet plan that underlies the food stamp calculation and what people actually get month to month. So that maximum allotment is then reduced by a percentage of a household's income, assuming that they're spending money outside of the SNAP benefits on um, food. Um, so I know um, a lot about that model diet plan and uh, some of the limitations of that. Um, and what the implications are for um, households trying to make ends meet and eat um, on that budget. Mm -hmm. um, Jessica, in Indianapolis, maybe you can help a little bit too and maybe kind of better define um, who a SNAP recipient is and how long do they usually stay on SNAP? Sure. So um, the eligibility guidelines for SNAP are 130% of the federal poverty guidelines. So that's about 
twenty-eight-ish thousand dollars, doing some math in my head, mm-hmm. uh, for a family of three. Um, and uh, the average time in Indiana is about twelve months. And the average amount that a recipient gets per person in Indiana is $117 a month per recipient in the family. And that's slightly lower than the federal average of how much um, benefits people are getting across the nation. Is that correct? Um, You know, I don't know that number off the top of my head, um, but usually we're lower than the national average, so absolutely, I can find that for you. And um, I wanted to bring in... um, Susan Levin, Director of Nutrition Education at the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine in Washington, D.C. So from a nutrition perspective, um, what do you think of this proposal? Well, what I, if, I ha- if I were going to find a positive out of the proposal, it's that someone at the top is talking about health, whether, whether that's their motivation or not. They have brought up the concept of something healthier within SNAP. Um, currently, SNAP is, as far as I know, the only federal food program that has zero consideration for nutrition requirements. And you can compare that to other federal food programs, such as uh, WIC, which considers very thoughtfully what would benefit the population that uses that food program. And so just to get this conversation, conversation started here in Washington has been virtually impossible. Um, No one on the left, no one on the right wants to change SNAP usually, Um, but I would like to start being able to have that conversation. Hmm. Okay. And Angela, so can you tell me, so why why do we not have nutrition um, standards or what kind of limitations are there for what you can buy um, with SNAP? So the the model diet plan that underlies the food stamp allotment, um, the Thrifty Food Plan, Um, does take into consideration the dietary guidelines for Americans, um, but the actual plan itself doesn't meet the recommendations for vitamin E um, or potassium or sodium. So there's um, the consideration is underlying um, the food stamp uh, program in the mathematics, but there there are definitely limitations to that. And um, there's also a, a greater, you know, more holistic idea of health um, aside from the dietary guidelines that um, are not accounted for in that calculation. Yeah, so I wanted to jump in here really quick. We want anyone there listening that you can join the program. Follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can also call us, join us on the air, or just ask a question, 812-855-0811, or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. That's 877-285-9348. You can also send us a question for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Uh, um, I'll just throw out a quick question, and then, Angela, if you you know want to also jump in on this, but um, how would... W- in, in terms of setting nutrition standards, I mean, how, what would be the best way for that to be set? Julio, do you want to jump in? Well, um, let, let me say, I, I don't disagree with the, uh, the point that, that Susan was trying to make. Um, I, I think that's definitely valid, uh, and I think she's trying to be very diplomatic, and I'll be less diplomatic um, because this is uh, this is just too important. Um, I I really don't think that's what this is about. Um, this, quite frankly, is a horrible idea. Uh, it's riddled with ignorance, cruelty, and hypocrisy, and its sole intention is to obscure the fact that the administration wants to slash the hunger safety net for millions of poor Americans. Um, we can, you know, they're they're cutting SNAP education and nutrition education at the same time they're proposing this and what they're doing is taking choice out of the hands of these individuals they're saying some government bureaucrat is going to determine what you should get in a box of food every month as opposed to allowing you and your family to choose the items on the shelf of a grocery store that you think are best for uh, for your own needs Susan, would you like to respond to that? Well, I am being diplomatic. (laughs) I don't disagree (laughs) that there are a lot of problems here, but 
what I'm trying to focus on is an opportunity, especially here in Washington, an opportunity to talk to people in Congress and say, okay, this has been recommended by this administration, for better or for worse. I don't even know if it's realistic or if anyone's taking it seriously, to be honest. But um, let's talk about programs that work better, like WIC, a program that does have, I mean, they use the word packages in WIC, but it's not literally a box mailed to your door in some cold-hearted fashion. It's a package, uh, in theory, that you choose from a list of foods, and you go to your grocer, and, and you buy those foods that were, you know, prescribed to you, sort of speak, um, based on your needs. And as, as was mentioned, you know, almost half of the participants in the SNAP program are children. So we need to think about the audience there. They do have special needs, um, and they can be catered to. And then when you think about America in general, um, most of us are very sick, and I'm talking about everybody. So when you look at the, those that are economically disadvantaged, they are even um, in a worse position position than the people, than the rest of us who are already in a bad position in terms of health. So we, I think we need to put, we do need to put more focus on nutrition in the SNAP program, and that does mean putting more criteria around what you can and can't buy. Um, and no one talks about the WIC program as being um, patronizing or humiliating. I mean, this is a really wonderful, successful program. A study just was released today showing that as WIC has even implemented more rules and, and, and focused even more on health by including more fruits, vegetables, and whole grains in the program, the people who use WIC are doing, over time, they've shown they're, they're doing even better in terms of their food choices. So I think that there's a lot of research to support putting parameters on what federal food programs do provide um, and don't provide. And I think we have to have that conversation around SNAP because people using SNAP are doing worse than the same people at the same income level who don't use SNAP. Like, what does that tell you about what, it, what they're getting from the SNAP program? I guess I, um, I want to push back a little bit. Um, I think it's really important that WIC is now allowing more fruits and vegetables to be purchased with those, um, those allotments um, because um, that was a major issue I've seen in my work with families um, being restricted to um, just milk or um, dairy items beforehand. And we have a serious issue of um, lactase and persistence. Um, we're kind of an anomaly in the world because of um, uh, so many of our northern European ancestors um, in America, but at least 25% of Americans are um, lactase impersistent or more commonly understood as lactose intolerant. Um, and that's um, another major issue with the food stamp allotment is that the model diet underlying it um, assumes that people are consuming at least three cups of liquid milk every day. Um, and that's just not culturally appropriate um, for many folks. And, um, but it's, it's been part, a major part of that diet because of the way that we subsidize feed um, and artificially drive down the price of dairy. I wanted to talk about these food boxes, and we have someone from Owen County who called in. Uh, Valera, are you there? Hello? Yes, I'm here. You're on uh, Noon Edition. Go ahead. Yeah, I've been getting this senior citizen, low-income senior citizen food box for, I guess, a couple of years. And I would like to elaborate on the point that was just made in that it's the same every month, and um, most I'd say at least half of the food in this box, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but it's stuff that I really can't healthfully eat in that it's um, cow's milk and, uh, you know, in a, like, uh, shelf, you know, heated to 300 degrees and powdered milk. Well, you know, I do have a, a lactose intolerance to a large extent. I can eat yogurt and things like that, but, you know, I can't eat this stuff. It gives me gas. 
It's like cheese that's not real cheese. It's like processed cheese, which also um, I find somewhat indigestible. And uh, most of the boxes of cereal, with very few exceptions, sometimes it's little shredded wheat things, but usually the cereal is loaded with um, sugar and fructose and peanut butter, which um, is also loaded with um, sugar and dextrose or molasses. And, you know, the quality of the food, I mean, we have an obesity problem in this country, and to give all this stuff to uh, low-income senior citizens that's loaded with sugar or people who can't eat cow's milk. I do drink a lot of soy milk, which, of course, I have to go out and purchase. Um, yeah, this, I mean, every month I think, gee, wouldn't it be nice if I could just go out and spend whatever money is spent on this box um, for food that I would eat? Mm-hmm. You know? And it's, it's really, I guess I hate to sound ungrateful, but I'd rather have less food of higher quality, like primarily without all this added sugar. Um, so anyway, I guess I don't qualify for food stamps because I have a few thousand dollars in the bank, you know, in the IRA for like emergencies uh, in case I need to buy a new vehicle or, I mean, not new, but new to me or, you know, my furnace blows up. So yeah, to change the SNAP program to a food box is about the worst idea I've heard in a long time. <laughs> Well, thank I you guess so much. it's all about money because the quality of the food in the food box is, uh, in my humble opinion, not very good. So I'll take the uh, answer off the air. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I, I think she's really hitting on um, an interesting point here is how, how can we account for you know, individual needs because you know, people have dietary restrictions or cultural restrictions. So how does a one, one-size-fits-all box going to account for that? Um, does anyone want to respond? Well, yeah, I, I, and I, I appreciate that, that uh, comment, and, and she's not being ungrateful. Um, we, we administer that program, the food bank does. We distribute those food boxes in, in Owen County, uh, and that uh, menu comes down to us, uh, and, and uh, we you know, choose from available items and, and put those in the boxes. Um, by the way, that, that program is slated for elimination in the administration's budget, so it sort of makes no sense that they're eliminating this program for seniors and that touting it as the way to, to, to do SNAP. But um, that is the problem. That program's really important, the CSFP program, those senior food boxes, because uh, it's an important supplement for those, uh, those thousand seniors that we serve in our six-county service area and 600,000 across the country. Uh, but a lot of that food is not food that's, that's appropriate for them. Um, we fight to keep that program because any food that we can get out to people is, is important. But... Um, it, it has its limitations, definitely. And, uh, you, you know, back to, to um, another point, it's going to sound like I'm, I'm uh, disagreeing with, with uh, Susan, but I'm not really. I, th- I think we're sharing the same point of view here. But I think um, having that conversation about nutritional content is really important, and I'm glad to see that happening. But what's also happening is that is exactly what's intended. We're obscuring the discussion of the fact that the administration wants to cut $213 million from the food stamp program over the next 10 years. This is going to really, really hurt a lot of low-income and vulnerable people, and, and that's what the conversation should be about. Uh, Je- yeah, go ahead. For a second? Yes, please. So, yes, I completely agree with that point, and I think that you know, they're trying to make it look like all of the savings in this cut is go, or, you know, all of the money from this cut is going to come from the savings that these boxes will, will, you know, provide. And I'm just not buying that that's the intention or that that's really reasonable. I mean, when you talk about the infrastructure that's going to have to be put in place to, you know, figure out what to goes in these boxes, we're going to, you know, that's going to be a long drawn out process. And then, we're going to have to come up with the state's going to have to come up with infrastructure to, you know, put these things out. What are we going to do about the special needs that we were just talking about? All of that is what we're talking about now instead of the fact that there's going to be underneath all of this a real cut to actual benefits from the SNAP program in a program that's already, you know, modest is the nicest way I can think to put it. And and then not like let's not forget the vacuum of the fact that this budget also zeroes out energy assistance it zeroes out the community service block grant 
I mean, I can go on and on and on with all of the non-defense discretionary cuts that are programs that are helping the same population. So they're going to be housing insecure. They're going to have heating issues. All of this stuff is going to be piled on top of and less food secure. Let me give the number here really quick. Uh, 877-285-9348. If you'd like to join the discussion, we have Charlotte from Bloomington on the line. Charlotte, go ahead. You're on Noon Edition. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. I'm very very, um, amused or dismayed by the fact that we've had this conversation before. We had a huge conversation uh, in 1970 in this county when the discussion was whether we have commodities or food stamps. And the, and the, the reason we supported food stamps was to give people choice and give them the option of getting fresh food. Uh, produce produce is, um, is very important to people, and if they, don't, if they don't have access to it, which they didn't with commodities, uh, that's cutting a whole nutritional area out. I find it ironic that in an administration that claims uh, they want, they believe in freedom, that they are once again limiting choices in a very, very critical place. And that's my comment. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Charlotte. Would anyone like to respond, Charlotte? Yeah, I think that this is just another way to discipline the poor, um, to take the power away from them when they already have um, limited choices. Um, the the SNAP program, you know, it usually is framed in the general discourse as, you know, giving um, uh, these poor um, households or households in poverty um, the access to, you know, the full consumer choice and ability to access what they need in the marketplace. And, I mean, it's amazing. It's an amazing program. Um, definitely we need it at this point. Um, but they they really are limited in, in the choice of the relative cost of foods when they get to the marketplace and what's actually available there and where it's coming from. Um, and this would only reduce that, that choice and that power of, of those households. All right, you're listening to Noon Edition on WFIU. Our guests are here to field your questions and comments. Don't forget, you could tweet us at Noon Edition, or you can give us a call, our toll-free number, 1-877-285-9348. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back right here on Noon Edition. the Milton Metz studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition on WFIU. This week, our panel is discussing the White House proposal to overhaul the SNAP program, formerly known as Food Stamps. You can join the live chat, tweeting at Noon Edition. Give us a call, 877-285-9348. Our guest, Julio Alonzo, Executive Director of the Hoosier Hills Food Bank in Bloomington. Angela Babb, Visiting Assistant Professor, IU Department of Geography. Jessica Fraser joins us on the phone from Indianapolis, the Director 
director of the Indiana Institute for Working Families. And from Washington, D.C., Susan Levin, director of Nutrition Edition Education for the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Uh, quick question, then we're, we're going to go to the phones, but is it really laid out yet in terms of how this program would work, or is it still pretty much out in the open, the, the, the food box program? As far as I know, the implication is that um, they want the main driver is to cut costs. So the states um, and the federal government being these aggregators to um, pull together the surplus commodities produced nationwide and funnel them into these boxes. Um, and I, I would, I don't think that there's much else. No. no, other than public-private partnerships, you know, as, mm -hmm. as a driver and states having the fl flexibility to administer it how they see fit, which also begs the question on how much will the states be on the hook for this, financially speaking. The details are re are really really vague at this point, but the the you know the the assumption is that they would try to use probably the model of that senior food box program um, that, that's already from the USDA down to the states, and then each state gets to decide what agency in that state um, oversees that. In Indiana, it's the State Department of Health. They contract with food banks to actually enroll the clients and distribute that food. It's, it would probably be a similar model. Um, the, the problem is the, the, the states don't have the money to do this, and the federal government doesn't reimburse at a rate that covers all of these, um, these costs. Um, they cover some administrative costs. We're delighted to take any administrative funding we can get. We're delighted to take the food and get it distributed to people. We know it's not a perfect, uh, perfect program, but it does help. But the fact is, we have to cover additional costs with our own fundraising. And when we want to do things like uh, provide fresh produce to these seniors, which we try to do as frequently as we, as we can, we have to do that outside the scope of this program and raise the money to, um, to do that. So there are no details, and it's, it's a really flawed, um, uh, flawed idea. And it would take an enormous uh, influx of funding to food banks like ours across the country to be able to, to add the additional staff, to add the additional vehicles, uh, the warehouse space to, to handle a program like this. Uh, it would not save money. Okay, let's go back to the phone. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to say the yeah. other thing that we haven't mentioned in terms of scale, just to kind of make everyone understand the scale sure. of this program in Indiana, about 600,000 Hoosiers are receiving SNAP benefits in Indiana. So, I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking about just an absolutely very large number of people and households we'd have to try to figure out how to get to. And some people who don't have regular households, another issue that we haven't come up with yet. Sure. Um, Anne from yes. Salisbury. Hi, you're on Noon Edition. Go ahead. My question is, thinking in terms long term, is will not having nutritious food make a difference in health problems later on, and, and I realized that, you know, someone was talking about the elderly, but I'm thinking of children who grow up without good health habits, and that can often lead to such things as obesity and diabetes later on in life, so that will be an expense on the other end of things, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, this is Susan. Um, it just real quick. Yeah, go I ahead, Susan. We, we definitely need to always be thinking about long-term costs and health care costs because obviously diet is a major driver of health care costs and, and the chronic diseases from which we suffer, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, um, you know, hypertension, all these diseases that are mostly diet-related. Um, and then, again, back to the fact that people who are economically disadvantaged are disproportionately affected by these diseases. And throw the fact in there that they may not even have insurance to take care of these diseases that require immediate attention, um, end up in ERs needing amputation of a foot, something that could have been prevented with proper medication and care. So there's a whole, there's a very long term, not that long, but there's a huge cost involved. And, and I, again, when you're talking to politicians, it's very difficult to get them to focus on long term costs because they just want to know the savings here and now. Um, which I think is, that's a huge problem. All right. And thank you very much for your call. Thank you. Bye.
Bye. We have another phone call. Tanya, are you there? Yes. Hi, where are you calling from? Florida. Florida. I'm actually on the road. We drive a truck, and I'm not in Florida, but that's my home state. Okay. you have a question for our panel? Uh, well, it's a more so comments and stuff that I see the abuse of the food stamp cards being used, like an example of being in the dollar short checkout line. This lady is buying, uh, trying to buy cat food, and, well, she couldn't. So she put it back, went back, and got 30-something cans of tuna. And it's like you see them in the convenience stores buying energy drinks that are two thirty nine a bottle. And it's when you go to Walmart, you know, I'm there trying to shop smartly and buy my great value brands, and they're buying the name brand hostess. There's got to be some way to regulate what is purchased on this. Okay. Thank you, Tanya. Who'd like to jump in on, on that type of regulation of this, this program as well? Well, I think there um, there are some rules in place and, and certain things that you can't um, purchase with food stamps. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and argue that every single person on the SNAP program is making the wisest choices that, um, that they should. Um, the fact is they get to make those choices just as anyone else does when, when they go to the grocery store. And... Um, you know, issues like this and, and alleged fraud are, are often used as um, the reason for having to, to cut these programs, to crack down on these programs. And the fact is that this is one of the most efficient and effective programs the federal government offers. The, the, the fraud rate on SNAP is about 1%. Um, it happens. It happens with every program. Um, but to penalize the other 99% uh, of people who rely on this, this program is not acceptable. Yeah, I think yeah, we I have. Just, go ahead, Angela. Oh, I think we have to be careful about um, judging what's in other people's baskets at the at the store as well. Um, you know, what's the story behind that person's uh, need or desire for that energy drink, or you know, the cat food for their cat? Um, I think there's a larger conversation around health, healthy individuals, and and what we need in our lives that that needs to be considered. Yeah, I was just going to basically say something very similar and say, you know, I, I agree with everything that Susan's saying, that nutrition is a concern and we need to be thinking about those things as well. But I also want to give a shout out to the hard working hunger advocates in the state who've done a lot to try to make sure that um, SNAP benefits can be used at farmers markets where people can get healthy organic produce. And the SNAP education and training program that uh, Julio mentioned earlier this is a program that's helping people make the most out of their SNAP benefits, teaching them how to cook recipes with healthy foods that they can buy with their SNAP benefits. And so, you know, on the one hand where we're saying we want to make sure that people are getting a box full of healthy food, and then we're cutting a program that helps them learn how to make the most of these benefits and make that healthy food just seems a little disingenuous. Let me go ahead and give the uh, toll-free number again if you'd like to join us, 877-285-9348, 877-285-9348. So a lot of our conversation that we've had is surrounding the choices that these SNAP recipients um, are able to make um, with their benefits. And um, I just wanted to put it out there. I wanted to ask, um, you know, is um, – when it comes to choices, what happens when we do uh, say this food box program does actually um, what um, actually is put through? Um, when a SNAP recipient receives this box, you know how does that affect the way that they spend their money with roughly half of their benefits being put into a box? Yeah, I think it's 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 hard to tell. Um, uh, we don't know for sure what's going into these boxes and how much of that food they're actually going to be able to use uh, or not use. Um, at the, at the, you know, the caller we had earlier uh, mentioned a number of items in that box that, that she can't use. I don't know what happens to those items. A lot of people um, wind up throwing them away, so I think there's going to be an increase in, in food waste. Um, but they, these folks are going to be even more marginalized at the grocery store checkout line by having less um, to, to, to spend on the items that they believe are necessary for their family and going to the farmer's markets and getting the fresh produce and, and things like that. Yeah, I've been trying to imagine um, a scenario in which this would actually work um, and really get to the core issues of, of poverty that, 
you know, put people on, you know, in the situation where they need SNAP in the first place. Um, I would think there would have to be a choice between the box and the food stamps, first of all, but then some amount of choice of what's in the box and where it's coming from. And then even beyond that, um, actually really localizing what's in the box, using it as um, a way to support local economies um, and mitigate you know, unemployment and poverty um, in communities, which would really, that's the only scenario where I see we're, we're actually making a positive change with this scenario. Hmm. So what would the economic impact of a proposal like this or a cut to food stamps, what's, um, what does that impact look like? Well, I, I, um, I mean, this is another irony. Um, the, the food stamp, uh, the, the SNAP program benefits um, retailers across the country. I mean, they're stepping in and saying they're opposed to this idea as well because, it, you know, people can go to the grocery store and choose the food um, that, that, um, that they want for their, their families. Um, they're spending that money at a private enterprise, which is, in theory, creating jobs and, and creating economic opportunity within the state, and that, that all goes away. Uh, in favor of a system where the government decide what food goes in a box and that's um, that's distributed to people in another way. So it, I, I think it has a big impact there. And then on the clients again, uh, if they can't, if they've got less money in SNAP benefits to use at the store and they can't use what they've got in the box, they're back to making choices about whether they, they use what money they do have for food or for childcare or for heat or for um, for other expenses that they might have. Let's go ahead and go to the uh, phones. We have, is that Michael? Michael, are you there? I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Yes. Hi, Michael. Where are you from? Uh, Indiana. Okay. Do you have a question for our panel? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to know, that gentleman on your broadcast made a comment a few minutes ago about 1% out of 100 is fraud and it's not right for another 99%. That gentleman has no clue what he's talking about. In my community, I, I see 10, 15 people a day buying uh, energy drinks at your little country stores trading out for, for gas. And if you're at the dollar store or Walmart, why can't you get the great value brand donuts for $1.50 instead of the hostess for $3 and buy twice as much food? And, and why, why can't they come up with this card that just limits them buying certain items instead of buying whatever they want? And as a taxpayer, I look at it this way. If you can't feed yourself, you shouldn't have the right to breathe. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Michael, for your, your comments. We'll move along to Joseph. Are you there, Joseph? Hi, Joseph. Hi. Hi. Uh, basically, I, I, uh, I don't know if it's a comment or a question. I just kind of wanted to address the panel about how they felt about uh, drug testing these individuals. Because, you know, I feel it's unfair that I, you know, I don't use drugs. But at the same time, if I must be drug tested through my work to maintain my livelihood. Um, and once again, I'm from Indiana, just like the gentleman before. And I live in a highly drug-ridden area. Meth methamphetamines is, the, you know, the drug of choice. And I see a lot of these drug users are subsidizing their drug use with the SNAP program. And why should these benefits be going to facilitate drug use? And that, that's all. I don't know if it's a question or a statement. We take it as it is. All right, thank, thank you. you. All right, thank you, Joseph. Anyone want to jump in on that? Well, I think we're back to kind of disciplining the poor um, again. and and. Um, thinking about food in a, a very narrow kind of way, um, I think it's important to, to realize that food is so much more than calories in and calories out. Um, it, food is memory, food is emotion, food is culture, food is tradition. Um, when, when we treat the poor as though they're only supposed to think of food, or you know anyone in this nation, think of food only as um, a number of calories and um, a number of nutrients, although, you know, calories and nutrients are important, but food is so much more than that. Um, when it comes to the drug um, 
drug testing. Um, I don't. I I might pass that one on. No comment. <laughs> Julio, do you want to comment on that? Uh, sh sure. Uh, I, I mean, I. I I think it's it's important to uh, to remember that um, the majority of the the uh, SNAP clients that we're talking about here are children and the elderly and disabled people. Um, I, I'm I'm certainly hoping that no one's proposing drug testing all of, of the the folks that fall into those um, those categories. Um, there's again I, I'm sure that abuse happens I, I, I'm not denying that, that that's the case but um, I think we take the small examples of that and they're they're blown out of proportion in order to um, to make the point that, that the, the folks who are, who are getting these programs or these these uh, dollars are not entitled to this support for um, for some reason or other and I just fundamentally disagree with that Eric, we'll get to right, your call I, in just a second, but I think, was it Jessica or Susan wants to jump in yeah, here? Yeah, I just want to add to that, that when um, states have attempted to do drug testing on the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program, um, a couple of things have happened. One, those um, things have been challenged in court and have not survived those challenges because of uh, Fourth Amendment constitutional rights issues. And then also um, in states like uh, Florida, for example, they found when they did the drug testing, they spent a lot of money and they, I think they only had four positive tests in their entire temporary assistance for needy families program. So, you know, to Julia's point that this is blown sort of way out of proportion. And also we're going to have a situation where the state is going to be spending a lot of money on something like that and, and not actually, you know, finding that, that it's the case that very many people do have these problems, you know, and then the next step is like those that do, you know, we do have an opioid crisis, but the right solution is try to figure out treatment and try to figure out a solution that keeps families from being hungry and helps put people on, on the path to recovery. Okay. And, and this is Susan. I'm sorry. I just yeah, go ahead, Susan. Support. Yeah, I don't know what good it would do to take food away from, from people regardless of their, their situation or addictions. Um, secondly, just reiterating, Julia, fraud rates within the SNAP program are extremely low. So I think focusing on that is just a distraction from from actual mm -hmm. important conversations. You know, and I want to say one more thing about that, too. Um, I think one of the reasons why people have this perceived fraud of the SNAP program is that we use these EBT cards for a lot of different programs, including the uh, unemployment insurance, Social Security disability, all kinds of programs might be on that SNAP card. So you might be using TANF assistance, you know, temporary assistance for needy families are on that card. So you might be using your card that's, that's cash that you earned for whatever you want, but someone in line says, oh, they just bought cigarettes with SNAP benefits. That didn't happen. But it looks like someone's making a bad choice, even if it's with their own money. So it's just going back to a point Angela made earlier, let's not judge what people have in their shopping carts because we don't know what their situation is. Let's go ahead and go to the uh, phone. Eric, you've been waiting for a little while. You're on Noon Edition. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, hi. Hi. I, uh, this, uh, this sounds like the um, Armageddon food box program. These are the things that you've talked about that go in there are canned goods and pasta. That's for your uh, disaster basement where the food lasts for decades. Um, the canned goods has too much salt, and the pasta, too much of that will lead to hypoglycemia. But the question is, I, th I heard somebody say that what's going in that food box is surplus goods. If that's true, then I thought the food banks did, took care of that. They handled the surplus food at their food bank programs. If it's not surplus, is there a danger that corporations will pay millions and corporate donations to people who decide on what goes in that food box. Like General Mills might say, hey, we want our product in there, and that's going to cost you millions. So what, what's the trade-off here? Is it going to be um, uh, out-of-date goods and stuff like that, or is it going to be goods decided by corporations, what goes in there? All right. Thank, thanks, Eric, for your call. I'm going to have, Julio, okay. do you mind addressing that? Um, sure. Well, I, I think it's a combination of, of those factors. And, and I mean, this is another, um, another problem with this idea. Um, some of the, the federal commodities that are, are passed down through these programs are, quote-unquote, surplus. They're, they're chosen 
not because they have the end user in mind. They're chosen because they were overproduced, uh, and and farmers or or um, companies need a market for them, and that's why the government buys them and and uh, gives them out. Again, we'll happily accept that because we want to we want to get food out out to people. It's better than nothing. But um, to suggest that you're you're somehow um, trying to improve their nutrition by doing this um, is is a bit disingenuous. Uh, I want to go ahead and uh, give the phone number out because we're getting down to about five, six minutes left. If you want to jump in, 877-285-9348, 877-285-9348. Yeah, I just wanted to go back to talking about the cuts to um, SNAP because it's not just this food box that we're talking about. But um, So in 2013, there was a small cut to uh the SNAP program about, I believe, 5.6%, um, which seems small. Um, what was the impact of that back in 2013? Yeah, I, I think across the nation we saw um, increasing pressure on food banks and food pantries and other emergency food networks to, to fill in the gap. Is that something you experienced, Julia? Yeah, yeah I would definitely agree with that anytime we see um, uh, there, there was something, I forget exactly when it happened, there was a, a switch in the way they provided the benefits that uh, for some, for some, uh, for like a month period or something like that, um, people uh, who may have gotten their benefits at the beginning of the month were now getting them at the end. There was a longer stretch in between. I don't remember all the details. But in any case, when that happened, um, we saw an immediate um, jump in, in people needing assistance. Uh, this is not a lot of money for these these folks. And um, they need it. When, you know, when it's cut, there's an impact, and they have to make that up somewhere, and that often uh, leads them to a food pantry or a kitchen. Hmm. So um, this is not the first time that um, the Trump administration, uh, administration has um, put out proposals to cut SNAP benefits, um, which was largely, largely ignored by Congress last year. Uh, this year, uh, I believe, is a farm bill year. So how does that affect um, what will happen with this proposal? Yeah, right now um, there's, you know, SNAP is always on the chopping block. Um, there are a lot of um, ways that we need to get involved to influence this next farm bill. Um, if you're in Indiana, then uh, Senator Joe Donnelly is on the Agriculture Committee, and there's a Food and Farms Coalition. Uh, ramping up power to, you know, influence him to to protect SNAP, um, and you know, increase funding for local, um, small scale, medium scale, sustainable agriculture. Um, all of these things very much interrelated to food security. Jessica, did you want to chime in? Yeah, I just, um, you know, I think that we need to be watching as as we go through the markup process on on the farm bill, there definitely are gonna be changes to um, the way work requirements work, which also has a big impact on um, folks' access to SNAP benefits. Um, so, you know, in addition to these harvest boxes, I think there will be changes that we all should be looking out for in the farm bill as well. Hmm. So given this proposal, uh, whether or not it will pass through Congress, um, what do you think the effect will be um, Without it, with or without it passing, or the fact that this proposal was put out there. Well, this is Susan. I, I, I just don't think this thing is going to happen. But the fact that I mean, I'm, I'm trying to leave political commentary out of this. But, but as someone here in D.C. who goes to the Hill and talks to Congress people. It's just it, and because this is a farm bill year, and usually when you talk about the farm bill, everybody's eyes just glaze over, and they just end up passing this monster bill that nobody even understands. But the majority of which, the funding is around food programs, especially SNAP. Um, finally, I just want—I'm glad to see a pinhole in the in the conversation where we can just talk about health and people who use SNAP who are doing worse than people who aren't using SNAP at the same income level and why such a fantastic program needs to be updated and not just talking about calories um, but talking about nutrition and getting people to be actually be healthier and choice is important and I mean I could talk 17 episodes about lactose intolerance <laughs> and how stupid it is to shove milk, cow's milk, down people's throats. But, yeah, so choice is important. They should be able to go to the store and choose from 
I think, healthful foods so that it supports health, it supports a long-term health care costs, it supports, it supports people who are economically disadvantaged. And I don't think that's patronizing at all. Um, so if I see that opportunity to talk about it, I'm going to take it. And that's what I think we have with this, just, I'll just say proposal and leave the adjectives out. All right. We, well, we have less than two minutes here. I just wanted to um, kind of wrap things up. So, um, so in just as short as possible. So, what what do you think are the first steps towards a solution if the Trump administration is um, seeing um, SNAP program as something that's wasteful? Um, does it need to be fixed? And if so, what can we do to fix it? I think people need to continue to speak out. If if you believe these programs are important, then you need to let your elected officials know. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not as optimistic, but I, I'm, I'm glad that um, there are folks um, like Susan able to find a, a bit of light here and, and maybe getting the doors open to some conversations about nutrition and, and positive things like that. Uh, I'm not hopeful of much progressive uh, uh, action uh, in, the, in the coming years. I think the government's unfortunately pretty dysfunctional at this point, and I would be very happy if we could at least limit the damage and not do more harm to, to people who are already suffering. Uh, you, you, 10 seconds, if you can do it in 10 seconds. <laughs> we need to be focusing on poverty. If we want to reduce the cost of SNAP, we need to create living wages for folks. You're here. All right. Thank you very here, much. Here. And that's all the time we have for WFIU's Noon Edition. And again, thank you so much to our guests and for all those who joined us today. For our producer and co-host, Angelo Bautista, Sophia Salaby, engineer Mike Pascash, I'm Joe Wren. This has been a Noon Edition on WFIU. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.